0: I've been having these quiet conversations with members of Congress for the last two months. I'm tired of being quiet. Well,
1: thank God. Speak up, Mr. President. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off
2: my chair. And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right
1: Here I am stuck in the middle with you Hey there From Pacifica Radio in suspiciously warm Los Angeles This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding On KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui-Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. Uh, very chilly Palinville, New York's WLPP. Even chillier Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In bitterly cold, Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas' KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. It's always cold up there. Also coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com well let's start with something fun shall we starting january 18th quebec will require a vaccine passport to enter all liquor and cannabis stores in an effort to keep omicron from spreading first dose appointments have now increased from 1500 per day to (laughs) 6000. so You heard that, Desi Doyle? I certainly did. Uh, Yeah, you heard that right. Vaccination is now required to enter all liquor and cannabis stores in Quebec as of next week. And in the bargain, appointments for vaccinations have skyrocketed for some reason (laughs) from what had been 1,500 a day to 6,000 a day just hours after that announcement was made.
3: Quite an incentive, apparently.
1: Yeah, apparently. So there's an idea. And by the way, with hospitalizations now here in the U.S. at an all time high during the Omicron surge of the pandemic, maybe the idea comes not a moment too soon. Just saying. But this is the, you know, exceptional United States. So uh, good ideas mean nothing here to us. Welcome to the broadcast. Speaking of bad ideas, the anti small d Democratic U.S. Senate filibuster currently uh, protecting the right of the GOP minority in the U.S. Senate to block the rights of minority voters to vote in American elections. On Monday, West Virginia's Democratic obstructionist and filibuster reform opponent, Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat, told a group of reporters that the Senate filibuster and its 60 vote threshold to pass any legislation through the upper chamber has been, quote, the tradition of the Senate here in 232 years now. It's something that we need to have. Uh, We need to be very cautious what we do, Manchin said. I'm hoping that we can come to an agreement to fix things. Every American has a right to vote, he said. But that's what we've always had for 232 years. That's what makes us different than any place else in the world. Joe Manchin is wrong, is completely wrong about the filibuster. Now, his quote was uh, most loudly Trumpeted by Fox News, a reporter named Chad Pergram on Twitter. He left out the stuff about every American has a right to vote. He just reported Manchin's quote uh, that it's been the tradition for two hundred and thirty two years now. We need to be very cautious what we do. That's what we've always had for two hundred and thirty two years Uh, No matter what Manchin fully said there, he is just wrong. He is wrong about the filibuster, as pointed out in some detail by Senate and legislative historian Max Kennerly in a brief Twitter thread responding to uh, Fox News' Chad Pergram. 232 years ago in 1790, wrote Kennerly, a simple majority could end any debate. The current form of filibuster that Manchin is protecting, he said, in which votes can't happen until 60 senators agree. That didn't exist until 1975. (laughs) Close. Hundreds of exceptions have been made to it, he said, including one just last month. That one uh, was to allow a simple majority to raise the silly congressional debt limit to borrow money to pay for stuff that's already been allocated by Congress, you know, to pay our credit card bills, in other words, which Republicans apparently now oppose. But they allowed Democrats to unilaterally vote to raise the ceiling uh, by waiving the filibuster requirement yet again in the U.S. Senate just last month. Kennerly notes, along with cites to historic documents for all of this, quote, the filibuster arose by accident in 1805. The Senate streamlined its rules at the urging of Aaron Burr. Nobody thought they were creating a vehicle for obstruction and no one used it that way until 1837 after the framers were all dead. The first filibuster in 1837 failed. It included a senator being dragged into the Senate by the Senate, uh, by the sergeant at arms, then dragged back out again when he got saucy with the presiding officer. Am I not permitted to speak in my own defense? He cried. And the answer was no. Up until the 20th century, most filibusters failed. They required holding the Senate floor in compliance with every rule. An 1893 filibuster on a silver-related bill went for 46 days, and then it failed. A 1908 filibuster failed by an accident, uh, an, an accidental yielding to a senator who had stepped out of the chamber. Even in the initial cloture rule in 1917, when a specific number of senators would be needed to end a filibuster, Kennerly writes that filibusters were still rare and still typically failed except in the lone area of civil rights law.
3: Go figure.
1: Hmm. Kennerly says when Joe Manchin was born in 1947, the Senate still operated almost entirely by simple majority rule. But, he says... The few successful filibusters had a theme. Anti-lynching legislation was filibustered in 1922 and 1935 and 1938. Anti-poll tax legislation was filibustered in 42, 44, 46, 48 and 1962. Civil rights legislation was filibustered in 1946, 1950, 57, 60, 62, 64, 65, 66, 68, 72, and, yes, 1975. Some tradition, huh? Notes Kennerly. The very first time in American history that senators could block legislation without indefinitely holding the Senate floor... While also complying with rules was 1972, which I'm no math whiz, but that was not 232 years ago. (sighs) Kennerly notes, it's all been downhill since then. There is no tradition, he says, to the current filibuster, and it's been constantly modified. The only real Senate tradition, as Senator Byrd, once regarded as the dean of the Senate, the one for whom the Byrd rule is named, that allows certain things to be passed, With a simple majority vote, as Byrd himself recognized, a majority could invoke cloture ending a filibuster whenever it wanted by changing the rules, which it has repeatedly, like just last month on the debt ceiling. There's no principled or historical justification for the current filibuster, Kennerly concludes his thread, in which GOP priorities Like judges and tax cuts and drilling on federal lands and regulatory rollbacks go to a simple majority vote. But voting rights and minimum wage and immigration, well, they can't get a vote until 60 senators agree. That's how it works. That's how it now works. That is not how it always used to work. Not for 232 years. But don't tell Joe Manchin. We would hate to ruin his day with, you know, truth and independently verifiable facts and stuff. And in case Kennerly's response is not enough, well, Adam Gentleson, a former top aide to the late Senator Senate Majority Leader uh, Harry Reid, Gentleson wrote a book on the filibuster, and he flagged several co- uh, quotes in response to uh, Mansion from the nation's founding fathers in response to those quote uh, those uh, comments about the Senate's non-existent 232-year tradition noting that the Constitution's framers considered the idea of legislative supermajorities, but they ultimately rejected them. Uh, Here's one quote from James Madison, widely recognized as the father of the Constitution. Uh, Take note, Joe Manchin. He said, quote, in all cases where justice or the general good might require new laws to be passed or active measures to be pursued, the fundamental principle of free government would be reversed. It would no longer it would be no longer the majority that would rule. The power would be transferred to the minority. So, yeah, James Madison, father of the Constitution, He was against a legislative supermajority like the filibuster. Alexander Hamilton agreed. He rebutted the idea that supermajority thresholds promote compromising, as Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have been arguing.
3: Have been lying.
1: Hamilton wrote, uh, what at first sight may seem a remedy is in reality a poison. It would be wrong to subject the sense of the greater number to that of the lesser, because if a pertinacious minority can control the opinion of a majority, the result would be tedious delays, continual negotiation and intrigue, contemptible compromises of the public good, wrote Hamilton. Well, that sounds a lot exactly like uh, what we have got now. That doesn't sound like a Senate tradition on Second Thought. Someone please do tell Senator Joe Manchin that he is actually not only not upholding Senate tradition, he's actually defying the will of the framers of the Constitution who created the Senate in the first place. On Tuesday, uh, after several months of failure to adopt critical voting rights and election reform legislation to counter voter suppression and election subversion bills being adopted by Republican controlled states around the country since they failed to steal the 2020 election for Donald Trump. President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris traveled to Atlanta to the Atlanta University Center Consortium of four historically black colleges and universities in the Georgia district once represented in Congress by the late great civil and voting rights icon John Lewis. In order to push for the passage of voting rights and election reform legislation, specifically the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which are both being held up in the Senate, thanks to Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema's refusal to allow for a filibuster carve out to pass those bills with a simple majority vote. Uh, Both the president and the vice president discussed the assault on voting rights by Republican states, the attack on democracy itself on January 6th of 2021, and the need to reform the filibuster, finally to allow the passage of voting rights and election reform for all Americans and in all 50 states. Here's Harris on the filibuster.
2: These two bills represent the first real opportunity to secure the freedom to vote since the United States Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act nearly a decade ago. We do not know when we will have this opportunity again. Senate Republicans have exploited arcane rules to block these bills. And let us be clear, the Constitution of the United States gives the Congress the power to pass legislation, and nowhere, nowhere does the Constitution give a minority the right to unilaterally block legislation. (laughs) The American people have waited long enough. The Senate must act. And the bottom line is this, years from now, our children and our grandchildren They will ask us about this moment. They will look back on this time. And they will ask us not about how we felt. They will ask us, what did we do? We cannot tell them that we let a Senate rule stand in the way of our most fundamental freedom. Instead, let us tell them that we stood together as people of conscience and courage. Let us tell them we acted with the urgency that this moment demands. And let us tell them we secured the freedom to vote, that we ensured free and fair elections, and we safeguarded our democracy for them and their children.
1: Vice President Kamala Harris uh, speaking today in Atlanta, uh, and she was followed by President Biden, who, after some thirty six years of service in the u s. Senate, is at heart a Senate institutionalist, but even Joe Biden finally, declared that the Senate has become a shell of itself, he said. And he is, quote, tired of being quiet about it and now says there is, quote, "No option." but to reform the filibuster in his beloved Senate to help save American democracy itself.
0: When I was a senator, including when I headed up the Judiciary Committee, I helped reauthorize the Voting Act three times. We held hearings, we debated, we voted. Was able to extend the Voting Rights Act for 25 years. In 2006, the Voting Rights Act passed three hundred and ninety to thirty three in the House of Representatives and ninety eight to zero in the Senate. With votes from 16 current sitting Republicans in this United States Senate, 16 of them voted to extend it. The last two hours chairman, some of my friends sitting down here will tell you, Strom Thurmond voted to extend the Voting Rights Act. Strom Thurmond. You can say that again, wow. You have no idea how, damn, how darn hard I worked on that one. But folks, think about that. The man who led the longest filib- one of the longest filibusters in history in the United States Senate, 1957, against the Voting Rights Act. The man who led and sided with all Southern bulls in the United States Senate to perpetuate segregation in this nation. Even Strom Thurmond came to support voting rights. But Republicans today the day are can't and won't, not a single Republican has displayed the courage to stand up to a defeated President to protect America's right to vote. Not one. Not one. We have 50-50 in the United States Senate. That means we have 51 Presidents. You all think I'm kidding. I've been pretty good at working with senators in my career. But, man, when you got 51 presidents, it gets harder. Anyone can change the outcome. Sadly, the United States Senate, designed to be the world's greatest deliberative body, has been rendered a shell of its former self. It gives me no satisfaction in saying that as an institutionalist, as a man, it was honored to serve in the Senate. But as an institutionalist, I believe that the threat to our democracy is so grave that we must find a way to pass these voting rights bills. Debate them. Vote. Let the majority prevail. And if that bare minimum is blocked, we have no option but to change the Senate rules, including getting rid of the filibuster for this. You know, last year, if I'm not mistaken, the filibuster was used 154 times. The filibuster has been used to generate compromise in the past, promote some bipartisanship, but it's also used to obstruct, including especially obstruct, civil rights and voting rights. And when it was used, senators traditionally used to have to stand and speak at their desk for however long it took. And sometimes it took hours. And when they sat down, if no one immediately stood up, anyone could call for a vote, or the debate ended. But that doesn't happen today. Senators no longer even have to speak one word. Filibuster is not used by Republicans to bring the Senate together, but to pull it further apart. Filibusters have weaponized and abused all the state legislative assaults on voting rights is simple, all you need in your House and Senate is a pure majority. In the United States Senate, it takes a supermajority, 60 votes, even to get a vote, instead of 50, to protect the right to vote. State legislators can pass anti-voting laws with simple majorities. If they can do that, then the United States Senate should be able to protect voting rights by a simple majority. Today, I'm making it clear, to protect our democracy, I support changing the Senate rules, whichever way they need to be changed to prevent a minority of senators from blocking action on voting rights. There's an idea.
1: President Joe Biden speaking on Tuesday in Atlanta in Georgia, which uh, flipped to uh, Democratic in the presidential election in 2020 for the first time in a very long time. And yes, where two Democratic senators were elected shortly thereafter in runoff races that ended up giving the uh, Democrats a majority in the U.S. Senate. A majority, which is now in favor of election reform and voting rights, yes, including Joe Manchin. Now the trick is to get Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema to be willing to change the filibuster in order to save voting rights. Quick break, and we are back with uh, more election madness from for from another state that flipped from red to blue in 2020, Arizona, as the cyber ninjas saga.
2: And all you can do is laugh at her Doesn't anybody know how to pray?
1: Sing it! Arizona Take off your rainbow shades Welcome back to the Bradcast Brad Friedman from bradblog.com We would never laugh at Arizona
3: Mmm, okay
1: Right? Well, maybe. Uh, At least maybe we'd laugh at the cyber ninjas in Arizona. At the end of last week, we had quickly waved at a story out of Arizona, or maybe this is a story out of Florida. I don't know. It depends the way you look at it. Uh, That's where the in Florida is where the cyber ninjas cyber ninjas were supposedly based. Uh, Reporting last week, uh, we we quickly noted that the far right conspiracy theorists and supposed cybersecurity experts who had no experience in either elections or audits had declared that they were going out of business. They were shutting their doors. They were closing it all down. And all the employees, including their CEO, Doug Logan, were no longer on salary at the company. Very sad. The uh, company, which nobody knows for sure, but appeared to be mostly just Doug Logan himself. He was a supporter of the QAnon conspiracy nonsense. He was a big Trump stop the steal stooge. He was hired. He and his company was hired by the GOP majority state Senate in Arizona with taxpayer dollars to run a Post-election, so-called forensic audit on Maricopa County, that's Phoenix, uh, there are 2.1 million ballots that were cast in the 2020 presidential election, which Donald Trump pretended had been stolen from him. As it turns out, it was not. Who knew? The uh, Cyber Ninja's months long, millions of dollars, so-called recount audit investigation of the votes that were cast in Maricopa found that Joe Biden actually beat Donald Trump in Maricopa by even more votes than was uh, officially certified there, though real post-election audit experts who have joined us on this program believe, and they have evidence to support it, based on their real audit of the Ninjas fake audit, that even those results reported by the Ninjas were, quote, made up out of whole cloth that according to election audit expert Larry Moore on this program some months ago after he and his uh, partners one of them a republican actually looked very closely at what at the numbers that the uh, ninjas reported and said yeah these guys just made stuff up they were wrong in their count their simple count of how many ballots they actually counted in each batch But as to the ninjas going out of business entirely last week, or so they claim, uh, well, it's because there were several Freedom of Information Act lawsuits, uh, most notably brought by the Arizona Republic newspaper uh, against them, or actually against the state Senate, uh, and That uh, those lawsuits determined that all communications about the audit by Logan and his ninjas were all subject to public records requests since the audit was at least partially funded with state taxpayer dollars.
3: Have a feeling they didn't account for that.
1: No, I I suspect they did not. Of course, we don't know because they're still withholding the documents. They also raised millions of dollars from Trump supporting dupes to, you know, line their pockets. But that's a separate matter here. In general, this was done as a a state taxpayer exercise. So those documents between the cyber ninjas and between the state Senate and between the cyber ninjas and anyone else regarding this audit were determined by a judge to be public documents that had to be turned over. Initially, the Arizona Senate refused to force the ninjas to turn over those documents, arguing that because Cyber Ninjas was a private company, their records did not fall under the public records law. But both the Arizona Republic and American Oversight, another group who sued and won In that case, they determined that those documents had to be turned over, but the cyber ninjas refused to comply with the court order to do so. Maricopa County Superior Court Judge John Hanna agreed with the plaintiffs in that lawsuit, and he ordered the documents to be turned over, which the cyber ninjas subsequently still refused to do. Yes, we all wonder what's in those documents and their communications with the state Senate and who knows who else that they do not want anyone to see. But after uh, Arizona Republic sought sanctions against the ninjas for one thousand dollars a day for every day that they did not turn over those documents. Well, the judge agreed. They agreed. uh, The judge agreed that the group was in contempt, but did not find them one thousand dollars a day, decided to find them. $50,000 for each day until they complied with the court order to hand over those documents related to the election review.
3: That's going to leave a mark.
1: Cyber Ninjas is shutting down, the company's representative then told NBC News last Thursday evening. All employees have been let go, he said, including apparently even CEO Doug Logan who created the company in the first place? Even he has been laid off, according to their their spokesman Rod Thompson. <laughs> so
3: he laid himself off, I, I guess. I guess
1: we don't know. I I don't even know who this spokesman Rod Thompson was. Who was he working for when he was their spokesman, if everyone has been laid off? Nobody knows. Cyber Ninja's attorney Jack Willenchick told Judge Hanna that the uh that the company was insolvent, hadn't paid his attorney's fees, and Uh, that he couldn't afford to sift through all of its records uh, to find the ones that were related to the election review. But Judge Hanna said that the company could not get out of this judgment and that, in fact, he may apply that $50,000 daily fine to individuals of the company in order to force them to comply, even if the company actually is shut down. Hannah said, quote, the court is not going to accept the assertion that cyber ninjas is an empty shell and that no one is responsible for seeing that it complies. He noted there was no evidence that the company is actually insolvent. That, according to Associated Press, he also said that if company employees couldn't review the documents themselves, they could turn all of the records over to the state Senate which uh, had hired the company in the first place, and Senate lawyers could then sort through all of those documents to find the pertinent ones to the, uh, to the record's request. Now, the uh, CEO and founder of Cyber Ninjas, Doug Logan, according to Kim Zetter in her Zero Day uh, newsletter, uh, she reports that Doug Logan actually has a second Florida company, that he created last year. Oh, really? Yes. The company is called Acolytus or Acolytos. I don't even I'm not sure if that's better than Cyber Ninjas or not, but Acolytos was incorporated March twenty two of last year, just days before Arizona State Senate President Karen Fan announced on March thirty one that the Cyber Ninjas would be conducting the 2020 election review. Logan is listed as CEO of both entities, both Acolytos and the Cyber Ninjas, and both businesses, you'll be shocked, share the same address. Oops. The existence of the second company, Acolytos, Raises questions about whether it was also shuttering operations and whether Logan and employees of Acolytus were also laid off that, according to Zetter. It's possible that assets held by Acolytus could become part of the judgment against cyber ninjas. Their spokesman, Rod Thompson, did not immediately respond to an inquiry from Zetter. Logan did not respond to an email sent to his acolytus address. Neither the email sent to his address nor an email sent to Cyber Ninja's employees, however. Neither of them bounced back, indicating that the announce are still active, she notes. So maybe they are not as shut down as they are claiming. Andrea Matswishin, a professor of law and engineering policy at Penn State, says the issue around Acolytus assets, their assets, depends on how rigorously and independently the two companies operated, and whether assets were shifted from cyber ninjas to Acolytus, quote, for purpose of hiding them and keeping them from falling within the scope of any possible fines from the court. These guys are in trouble. These guys are in big trouble. Zetter reports if assets were transferred after the court ordered to produce records and if the court determines that they were transferred with the intent to avoid having the assets fall into the hands of the court. Quote, that is potentially a sanctionable act of trying to avoid the reach of the court and noncompliance. So uh, if, if they thought they were going to escape, if they thought they were going to run, if they thought they were going to get out of this somehow, by shutting down one company and continuing the other, well, if it turns out if they moved assets before they shut down, if in fact they did shut down, well, those assets are also seizable Is that a word?
3: <laughs> I think so. and
1: worthy yes, yes. Judges
3: don't like it when you try to fool them.
1: No, they don't. And apparently not this judge who says, no, shutting down ain't going to do the trick. If you shut down, we will go after you individually, Doug Logan, and the people who supposedly worked for your company. We will get that $50,000 a day. The uh, professor from uh, Penn State said the CEO needs to be able to demonstrate to the court that there was a rigorous adherence to to maintain the books and records as a standalone entity and that the company was uh, its own self-contained unit wholly separate from cyber ninjas. Now, that may be difficult, of course, because, A, Doug Logan and the, nin- and the ninjas are not really known for their rigorous adherence to bookkeeping, <laughs> we have come to learn. After all, they have uh, simply uh, appear to have made up the results of their audit out of whole cloth. And also, B, as Zetter notes here, according to Florida business records, the principal address for both companies is the same. 7901 4th Street in St. Petersburg, Florida. And the mailing address for both is listed as 5077 Fruitville Road in Sarasota, Florida. Now, the Fruitville Road address appears to be the address of a UPS store for both of them, for both of the companies. Probably the same UPS uh, mailbox, I would suspect. She writes, it's not clear why Logan created Acolytus, though it was likely to create a division between his cybersecurity consulting business, which he launched in 2013 as Cyber Ninjas, and the new side business that he opened up to create conducting election reviews in other states following the Maricopa County review, which was very, very successful.
3: The grift is strong in this one.
1: If what happened in Maricopa is any indication of just how good Doug Logan and the Cyber Ninjas actually are at auditing elections, while they got a lot of good publicity about it, they're getting a lot of real bad publicity right now. And it got worse last week just before they announced that they were shutting down. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But Uh, You know, the future may not be too bright, even for acolytus, even if they are able to escape the judge's ruling here somehow or another, as far as, you know, them being hired to do election audits, which they are terrible at. They simply make them up out of whole cloth. I mention this because the bad news for the ninjas is, and maybe the good news for pretty much everyone else who isn't, you know, duped and hoaxed by Donald Trump and his uh, pretend election fraud nonsense. Late last week, the the news uh, that, you know, the ninjas were shutting down sort of over overshadowed some, frankly, much more important news about all of this that had, had occurred just one day earlier. The Maricopa County Board of Supervisors which is a Republican majority, I think it's a five-person board, I think it's four Republicans and one Democrats, well, they released their own response to the NINJA's final audit report. You know, the audit report in which they just made up the numbers, as we discussed on this program. But the Maricopa, they did their, uh, their due diligence here, and they went through and they looked at all of the claims above and beyond the final results numbers, which again confirmed Joe Biden's victory. But above and beyond all of that, all of the claims being made by the ninjas. So the final numbers may, may have been made up out of whole cloth. They claimed uh, that you know Biden won by even more than previously certified, but they included a whole list of other claims, things that they claimed that they could not verify for certain, but indicated the potential of possibly... Thousands of illegal and or fraudulent votes. And of course, those claims were enough to uh, satisfy Donald Trump and the MAGA dupes that something terribly nefarious must have been going on in Arizona. Sure, the final results came out the same, but that's only because we had tens of thousands of questionable ballots that should not have been counted in the first place which is why Trump still cites the Maricopa audit, which found nothing, in order to claim the 2020 election was stolen from him in Arizona and probably everywhere else. But in fact, the Republican Board of Supervisors was able to debunk every single claim. Well, every single claim except for one that was made by the ninjas in their final audit report. As CNN reported uh, late last week, Maricopa County officials undercut nearly every claim that cast doubt on the validity of ballots in an error-plagued report that Arizona Senate Republicans had commissioned from the uh, 2020 election. The officials issued a 93-page rebuttal to the claims that were made by the Cyber Ninjas and its subcontractors. County recorder Steve Richer, a Republican who was elected in 2020, who has defended the integrity of uh, of the elections office in the county that was overseen at the time by a Democrat, the Democrat that he defeated. Richard said, quote, the truth is the Maricopa County 2020 election was not stolen from Donald Trump. Presenting the rebuttal to the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors in a four hour meeting last week, County election officials said that 76 of the 77 claims made in the Cyber Ninjas report were false or misleading. They confirmed one error, one, that Cyber Ninjas had identified. In fact, there were 50 ballots, 50, 50 50 ballots out of 2.1 million ballots in Maricopa that had, in fact, been double counted. They were scanned and tabulated twice, apparently, by a temporary employee who was among many that were hired to help with the elections. That, according to Scott Jarrett, the county's co-director of elections, he said that the double counted ballots did not change the outcome of any election, much less the presidential election, which Joe Biden won in Maricopa by some 45,000 votes, even if you throw out those 50 double counted ballots. And by the way, as even the Ninjas confirmed with their phony audit, Uh, Arizona Republic's excellent reporter, Jen Fifield. She was the one. Remember her? Remember she was uh, she she discovered and reported, I think it was day one of the Ninjas audit that they were allowing blue markers, blue pens on the floor of the Coliseum where the ballots were being hand counted.
3: Right, because she knows more about election laws and procedures than the cyber ninjas Apparently,
1: yeah. She said, no, no, blue ink, that could be used to change votes on those ballots. You can't have blue ink. It's a huge no-no. It's a huge no-no. So generally when they're doing election audits of this sort, they'll use either red or green ink because that doesn't show up on the scanners if they have to rescan those ballots for any reason. So Jen Fightfield had actually signed up as an observer because the cyber ninjas were so interested in transparency and restoring the confidence of voters in Arizona in the election results that they did not allow any reporters in the room unless... Uh, In this case, Jen Fifield at the Arizona Republic actually signed up to be one of the uh, one of the observers. Anyway, uh, she reported last week nearly every claim made by the Cyber Ninjas and other Senate uh, Arizona Senate contractors who reviewed Maricopa's 2020 election was either misleading, inaccurate or false, according to a point by point response issued by county officials. The 93-page report, months in the making, studied every question the contractors raised about the election and analyzed thousands of individual voter records. It explained that the contractors made faulty assumptions and false accusations, in part because of mistakes that they made during their analysis, but also because they were inexperienced and misunderstood how the county and state's elections actually work. She quotes Supervisor Bill Gates, not that Bill Gates, but the Supervisor Bill Gates, who's the chair of the Republican-controlled board in Maricopa, of saying it is my hope that this will be the last word on the November 2020 election. And I got to say, Bill Gates, I share your hope, (laughs) but I don't know that it will be. In any event, for example, according to the ninjas... To their final report and their 77 claims, one of them was that 5,295 people, quote, potentially voted in multiple counties in Arizona. Well, that sounds bad, because remember, even though in Maricopa, Biden won by 45,000 votes, he only won by a little over 10,000 votes across the entire state. And here we've got... 5,295 people who may have voted twice in two different counties, two or more, I guess, in Arizona. Well, the county investigated those potentially unlawful duplicate voters and found that the real number was not 5,295 potentially multiple county votes, but actually five. Not 5,295, but five voters may have done so. Fifield, for the Arizona Republic, she went through with her own point-by-point review of the county's point-by-point rebuttal to the Ninjas. I'll share just some of the stuff that she uh, that she summarized. For example, uh, one of the claims from the Ninjas was that 33,102 mail-in ballots were cast from old addresses, people who no longer lived at those addresses. The claim was made as an attempt to show that the ballots may have been cast illegally. Well, the uh, county found uh, reviewing thousands of voters listed in the data set from the uh, cyber ninjas that the uh, county, in fact, found five of the ballots may have been cast illegally. The county explains that there are numerous reasons why mail in ballots may be cast from an old address, such as overseas voters or voters who moved shortly before an election. They're all legal. If they move right before the vote, uh, they're still allowed to vote from their from their old address. You know, sometimes there's like a 30 day cutoff or something before the election when you have to register. Well, if you move during that 30 day period, you are still allowed to vote. Also, Cyber Ninjas used commercial software, apparently. Uh, in order to complete what the county called an insufficient soft match to find voter addresses, they used only first names, first initials, and years of birth, which means they potentially identified different people as the same voter. In one case, the county said cyber ninjas identified twins as the same voter, even though they were. Obviously, different voters. The county spot checked the Cyber Ninjas data set using far more criteria, including full name, full date of birth, social security number, driver's license or state ID, residential history and signature, as opposed to just the commercial database, da- database which may have only matched first name, last name. And birth date, uh, birth year.
3: And give you false positives.
1: The five ballots may have been uh, may have, in fact, been cast illegally, and they include instances where the voter potentially voted in more than one Arizona county. The county found that the five, after reviewing almost 2000 of the voters that the Cyber Ninjas had claimed, The uh, county has, in fact, turned over those five cases to the state's attorney general's office for further review. The largest claim by number in the Cyber Ninjas report was that 23,344 ballots that were voted from a prior address. The county found that these ballots represented either a legal vote or an incorrect voter match on the Cyber Ninjas part. Of these, none of the voters identified voted twice According to the report, the company also included 1,331 uniformed and overseas citizens and absentee voters who, yes, may legally vote from their prior address. So if they were a military voter, they were trying to shut down the military votes overseas. If you were a military voter, uh, if you were sent overseas, you're allowed to vote at your old address. The Cyber Ninjas identified that as a problem. Just a few of these other claims here uh, that they went by point point by point by point. And as I said, all but one of them uh, they were able to uh, to dispute. Uh, Here's another. The Cyber Ninjas hand count produced, uh, well, similar results to the county's results. The county analyzed the Cyber Ninjas hand count reports and said that more than 28 percent Of the hand count batch totals produced by the company did not actually match a separate machine count of ballots that were conducted by the Senate, which closely tracked to the county's results. So even where they said, hey, we came up with the right results, well, their numbers in getting there was wrong, which leads us to that uh, made up out of whole cloth uh, claim that we we told you about months ago on this program. The county says the hand count was flawed because it didn't follow the correct method to count ballots and tally votes under state laws and because the procedures changed constantly. Remember, on the stadium, they had all those people in those colored shirts at all those colored tables and they were spinning those lazy Susans around. They were so proud of that. They thought that was the best way to count ballots well by hand well it turns out that's not the best way to count ballots by hand
3: which they would have known if they knew anything about elections
1: election laws no. procedures no they were they were too clever for that they probably looked those up and they said well that's not nearly efficient enough we've got 2.1 <laughs> million ballots to let's get some lazy susans and spin them around at lightning speed And no doubt we'll come out with an accurate count. They were not even close, not even never mind the results. They were not even close to the number of ballots that they actually counted. They were more than 28 percent off in in that count. (sighs) Anyway, so, yeah, the whole thing was a joke, although I'm glad they counted that they uh, caught those uh, double counted 50 ballots In short, as you knew, as we all knew months ago, the entire exercise was a joke and has been debunked multiple times by multiple experts over and over. And yes, even the uh, ninja's own apparently made up out of whole cloth numbers uh, proved that Joe Biden won. Donald Trump lost. As to the fallout from all of this, well, that fun continues as Doug Logan and his ninjas and his acolytos are now accruing, potentially, sanctions of $50,000 per day. Good luck with that, guys. And no, I don't think your other fake company is going to save you here. We'll find out. Green News Report is next on the broadcast with Desi Doyen. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But, of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. So, you know, I know it's a a strange day to talk about this Desi Doyen, because in parts of the uh, nation, it's really, really cold today. Record cold including up at our uh, uh, New Hampshire affiliate, WNHN. So it's strange to talk about one of the warmest years on record ever. But uh, looking at 2021 as a whole, the average contiguous U.S. temperature was 54.5 degrees. That's a staggering two and a half degrees above the 20th century average. And yeah, I believe that is where we pick things up today in our latest Green News Report.
3: What was dismaying for us was to see that emissions bounce back even faster than the overall economy. U.S. emissions spiked in 2021, jeopardizing Paris climate targets.
1: The last seven years were the Earth's hottest on record.
3: And 2021 clocked in as the fifth hottest year ever recorded. Plus... Too much time has already been lost in the
2: fight against climate change. That's why we must and we will implement an ambitious agenda to meet this moment.
3: New York State's new governor goes big on climate and clean energy.
1: All of that ambition and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This is a sign the storms are going to get worse and worse, and it's not global warming. It's the last days. Wait, is that better or worse, Jim Baker? Nice to see you out of jail, by the way. This is your Green News
0: Report. So I, I want you to help today. Those that can give $1,000
1: to help us stay on the air. Oh, Jesus.
2: I'm gonna soak up the sun.
1: Okay, Desi Doyen, it's been a while since you've had a report about record heat. But I guess it wasn't going to be long
3: (laughs) No, global warming has not stopped The past seven years have been the seven hottest years on record globally Since record-keeping began in the 1880s And even though 2021 was relatively cool compared to other recent years It still ranked as the fifth warmest year overall That is all according to the European Union's climate monitoring service Copernicus It was warmer in the U.S., which saw its fourth hottest year on record Europe had the hottest summer in history, which fueled deadly extreme weather disasters like the catastrophic deadly floods in Germany. The nonstop warming trend, driven by humanity's release of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, shows that even the temporary cooling influence of a La Nina event in the Pacific Ocean no longer does very much mm. to dampen human caused global warming, which scientists warn is intensifying disasters like hurricanes, wildfires, and heat waves. That-
1: that is not a good sign.
3: Adding to the crisis, in the U.S., emissions of planet-warming greenhouse gases bounced back in 2021. Yay! No, not yay, oh. as the economy rebounded from pandemic disruptions. Emissions had dropped a record 10% in 2020, according to the Rhodium Group, and then spiked 6% in 2021, largely due to big increases in the use of coal and fossil-fueled freight transportation. Renewable energy supplies are growing, generating a record 20% of U.S. electricity in 2021. Yay? Yes, yay. But it was still not enough to counter higher natural gas prices amid a global natural gas supply crunch. Boo! So utilities switched to cheaper coal. Mm. The U.S. is the world's number one exporter of natural gas, so U.S. citizens now compete with Europe and China for U.S.-produced natural gas. We're
1: competing for our own gas? Yes. So much for energy independence
3: to meet paris climate targets of cutting emissions in half by 2030 the u.s needs to decrease emissions by five percent a year so we are definitely going in the wrong direction
1: so we increased it last year by 6.2 percent yes we suck
3: the u.s is unlikely to meet the paris climate targets unless congress passes historic climate investments in president biden's build back better act
1: all we have to do is wait for joe manchin's permission
3: It was also a year of disaster fatigue. The U.S. was hammered by a staggering 20 weather and climate disasters in 2021 that cost more than a billion dollars each in loss and damage, racking up a total of $145 billion in damages in just 2021. To put that into perspective, President Biden's Build Back Better bill directs $550 billion over 10 years to climate mitigation, and that's a third of what the U.S. spent on 2021's Fossil Fuel Climate Disasters.
1: Yeah, that $555 billion over 10 years is mm, about two-thirds of what we spend on the military every single year.
3: But there is some good news, on the state level at least. New York's new Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul unveiled an ambitious path to reaching the state's emissions targets in her State of the State address last week, citing the accelerating costs of extreme weather disasters like Hurricane Ida and Superstorm Sandy. Hochul outlined several major climate goals from upgrading the state's infrastructure resilience to decarbonizing millions of homes, incentivizing the shift to electric vehicles, a first in the nation statewide ban on natural gas hookups in new buildings, plus massive investment in offshore wind energy. I'm now announcing a nation-leading $500 million investment in offshore
2: wind energy that will create thousands of good-paying green jobs. As we build out our wind energy capacity and continue our transition to clean energy, our reliance on fossil fuels must be phased out.
1: Yes, please, not a moment too soon. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. You better believe I'm Back in the New York uh-huh. Thank you very much, Jesse Doyen, yep. and thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it any time for free at bradblog.com. Hey, while you're there, please consider uh, stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves to do what we try to do every day. Right here on the Bradcast. Drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the BradBlog. We will see you there till we see you here next time. Hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.